morning, Patriots, and welcome to the Patriots Prayer Podcast. I'm your host, Eddie Smith, and today is our last installment of the three-part series with David Baumblatt, ex-FBI agent turned whistleblower. Now, in this particular installment, it gets a little more real than the other two. Wasn't planned that way, just happened that way. But David said some things in this episode that absolutely shocked me to my core. You have to understand that I always looked up to uh, the FBI and uh, always believed whether or not you were on this side of the aisle or that side of the aisle, meaning right or left. I always believed that at least everybody was doing uh, what they thought was good and what they thought was right. Unfortunately, uh, today I can be quite honest with you when I say I no longer believe that. Matter of fact, I'm sure it's not true. It's unfortunate, uh, but it's true. The things David tells me in this episode absolutely shocked me to my core. Because, I mean, as an average everyday Joe, I mean, you just never conceived that these types of stories would be true. So with that, no further ado, uh, let's get right into this episode with David Baumblatt, ex-FBI agent, turned whistleblower, installment three of the series. Let me give two examples. The government is not a fast-moving animal. Again, another reason I left, I just didn't want to make career in the government. The government moves slow. So when a major project happens the long to the con. government... Huh? It's the long con. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's easily 10 years ago that it was planning. Let's look at two projects that's being built by America now, and then ask yourself from a security strategic standpoint, why are they being built? One mm -hmm. focuses on the Middle East and one focuses on America. The one in America is the FBI is building a new headquarters that's going to be bigger than the Pentagon. Why are they doing this? What do you think's happening? Something should start making people think. The other thing that I was surprised, and I just happened to stumble upon it. I've spent some time in Lebanon. If anyone's been in Lebanon, in the Christian and that Muslim sector, when I was with the Christians, and I get along, that's another thing. If you meet a Lebanese person, the first thing to ask, are you Christian or Muslim? Trust me, 1975, major civil war, the Christians, it's a different, it's a different people. I get along with them great. And so I was in the Christian sector, which is specific. You only stay in the Christian sector. I was not right. going into the Muslim sector. And they protected me in many ways. But they almost remind me of Jews. They're very, they're very similar. I said, I always kept joking to them. I'm like, you feel, I feel like I'm hanging around with a bunch of Jews. Here. Right. Yeah, Jewish similar. quarters, Christian quarters. Right. They're very similar. So they said, hey, you want to see something funny? This is out of the blue. Dude, look it up. It's on there. They said, let's take you to the U.S. Embassy, which is in Beirut in the Christian sector. And I'm like, why do I need to go to the U.S. Embassy? They said, you got to see this. I went there. It's still under construction. It is the second largest embassy in the world. Second only to Baghdad. One billion dollars U.S. money. And it's still being almost fin complete. The question is, why are we building it there? Now, the U.S. military is asking some sources. They're looking, and again, this doesn't happen yesterday. This planning happened decades ago. You don't build this thing overnight. Mm -hmm. Some type of strategic uh, viewpoint is looking from the U.S. U.S. military and also U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East. Israel would be too politically sensitive to build something like that in Israel. 
So really, the next quite best thing is actually Lebanon in the Christian sector. It's the, it's mm. actually very, in some ways, it's very, in fact, most people don't know, but the commandant of West Point, the guy I remember was General Abizade. Remember four-star General, Four, he's, he's, uh, he's Lebanese-American, whose family is right from there. So don't fool yourself. The Lebanese mm. uh, uh, Christians are very Americanized in many ways. So mm. the question is, is just like where the FBI is building a new headquarters that's bigger than the Pentagon, why? And same thing, why is American taxpayers building the second largest U.S. embassy in the world in Beirut? Something the amount of, the, the amount of money and planning that goes into building a U.S. embassy is tremendous. And I know because I was part of three of them uh, I uh, in construction management, which is my field. Um, I, I've worked on the one in uh, Fiji, uh, the one in Yemen, and the one in Peru, in Lima. And... Uh, just an amazing amount of just, yeah, like you say, compartmentalization, um, just tons of money, just, I mean, exorbitant amounts of money. And it's the oversight is just about nil. You would think it would be more so. Um, the one in Yemen was blown up before the construction was ever completed. It was a very a non-strategical place to put a, uh, 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 you know, a building, you had two buildings on either side of it that was both taller than the U S embassy. So it was not very, it was, it was just a dumb place to put the embassy. So I'm not quite sure, you know, who was really behind getting rid of it. Cause it was not the best place in the world to put it. But yeah, I mean, if, if what is the answer, right? What do we, what do we, what do we have to do to get from where we are to where we need to be? What, what's the answer? How do we go about what's the ground game? What what do we do to yeah. wake people well, up? And then what's the, exactly. what, how do we steer our way out of this? Well, there could be a hard truth for the American people. I mean, you have to remember, America became the greatest nation in the world. We had a revolution. And so before I get to it, but think about it. What if we were before 1776 talking with people, how do we solve this problem? And some sure. people said, maybe we have the revolution. And we said, we can't do that. That's illegal. That's, uh, you know, that's violence. But we do have to admit that America was formed because our revolutionary forefathers put their lives on the line. They were sure enough. They, all they were terrorists. Hung. They, they would have been hung as traitors immediately. Yep, they were there. They had money traitors. on their heads, in fact. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and if uh, I remember the letter... Um, there's a movie out called uh, uh, Secret of America's Beginnings. I like the part part two of it. And they, they uh, showcase the letter from uh, from George Washington. And he's essentially telling the king to get his hands out of his damn pocket. And he's talking about the taxes. And he's talking about all the reasons why we ended up forming the United States. And we've turned into the monster we ran from. I mean, to the T. Worse, worse than the original monster that we ran from, in fact. Um, and now... We have people in office like, uh, and we'll just move on to the the Israeli Hamas conflict, right? Mm -hmm. So we have people in office right now, right now that I consider 100% seditionist. And I'm talking about the squad. I'm talking about AOC, Jeffries, uh, uh, Jamal Bowman, uh, uh, as well as uh, Ilhan Omar. Ilhan Omar uh, broke our, our immigration laws by marrying her own brother to bring him into the United States. It's a public knowledge. Everyone knows this. It, it it's it's not a, it's not a conspiracy what, whatsoever here yeah. she is you know advocating for the destruction of israel they have they're all very anti-semitic openly so and you have rashida Tlaib who wouldn't even condemn the beheading of infants 
and and wouldn't say that that was an atrocity, wouldn't stand against it, wouldn't speak out. Here she is holding office in the United States, and she has a Palestinian flag right next to an LGBTQ flag standing right outside of her office. Yeah, it it one Just of the things that I a contradictory I noticed, in ideology. No, for no, one, I, but, I agree. One of the things that I've noticed when I'm overseas, because non-Western countries are not very multicultural, multiracial, they're more homogeneous. The point is in America, I guess what we're doing now is we're eating our own medicine, meaning we wanted more multiculturalism or multiracialism or immigrant. What do you think was going to happen? Meaning if and this trend has been happening year after year, what do you think America is going to be in 20 years? So I always said it. We're we're like we, we, diversity is our strength. Diversity is our strength. I mean, we got to repeat it. Otherwise, we're going to be called a racist. If this if this continues, because diversity could be in many formats: political diversity, sexual diversity, religious diversity. But, but not can, but not diversity to your own detriment. Meaning, like you you have and, 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 they're burning exactly. flags and stomping on flags and teaching their kids that it's good to do that. I've seen a video. During the COVID lockdown, where a, a, a young kid in California, of course, why where else? Um, they're riding bikes, like the kid's probably like eight or nine, and he's riding with mom. And there's a ring doorbell that caught this whole thing happening. This is why we know he saw an American flag on someone's lawn. The kid jumps off his bike, goes over and grabs the flag and rips it down and starts stomping on it. And the mom is just sitting there with a grin on her face, ear to ear. But I, I I think that the reason that that happens starts at our university level. It does. These are indoctrination camps, and we are allowing people like you. I'm sure as an ex-FBI agent, you know who William Ayers is. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, so here's a guy who is instrumental in the rise of Barack Obama to his current stature, as well as Franklin Marshall Davis, who is also very instrumental in Barack Obama's rise to power, who wrote oh. his uh, referral letter to Harvard and this guy wrote the American communist. He was on the F- a FBI watch list for quite some time for being a communist. And now you have William Ayers, who is a college professor, but it was it ran a, a terrorist group named the Weatherman Underground. Now, how do you go from a guy who tried to plant bombs at the at the Pentagon and did and murdered police officers to being able to indoctrinate children with the same ideology that led you to do sure. that? So if you do, again, reverse engineering. When Americans' foreign policy intelligence tries to influence other countries, we focus on the college kids, the uh, the kids at university. The same thing that's happening here. And there's three reasons. Why are, if you really want to start a revolution, if you really want to change it, you go to college kids for three reasons. One, at their age, they're in good health. They're 20 to 25. They're physically fit. Two, they sh- they, most of them don't have any kids or family. They're single, which means they're mobile and they're ready to work. And three, they are either in the position of to know to get educated or get indoctrinated, but they're constantly learning and learning and debating. But they are a key source in any country to form the base of a revolution. It's not just in America. We do it overseas. But if your college kids start changing, they are the ones that are going to be the bay. Once you get older, you might be sick. You got kids to feed. You don't have time to pay attention to the news. It's like, dude, I just got to, you know, I'm busy making ends meet. I don't have time. Sure. College kids are different. They are a very potential source. If you want to change a country, you go to the college kids. These are CIA recruitment grounds as well. 
Absolutely. And, it works in both ways. We do it overseas and, and countries will do it here. But I would say coming from a guy who's got four master's degrees, wasted a lot of time and money in these schools. I am not a fan of uh, academia. I think it has more cons than pros, especially to a young man. Just go to a trade school, go to a skill school. We used to come it. out of our high schools knowing how to weld and woodwork. And that's it. We were taught I, would, I would skip college. I think it's a so, waste of I money. Mean, I say quite often, and let me know if you agree or you disagree. Uh, I say quite often that, uh, that socialism is sedition because you can't enact socialism in the United States by policy uh, as a socialistic government, like true socialists, without first uh, tearing up and throwing in the trash the American Constitution because your free markets are gone. You're, you're, a lot of the principles in which we're founded on are gone. So when you have people like Bernie Sanders, AOC, uh, and others who are literally part of the uh, social, the Democratic Socialist Party, which is a true party, these are the ones that just had uh, rallies for Hamas, literal rallies. People dressed yeah. up like Hamas fighters oh, and all this, and they belong to this party. And so my question to you is, is, is that sedition? You know, it, it's a very difficult question in terms of what exactly they did. But I would say this leadership is about people and people. It's about demographics. And if you continue to change the demographics in America to where more and more people accept socialism, I think this constitution, everything, it doesn't matter. And so I, I'm telling you, demographics is the future. And I think if you're a conservative, freedom loving America, we're at the losing end. We're just not. We're 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 and and it's dangerous in the future. But I, I'm going to push you a little harder on this. Though. Okay. These guys, yeah. these guys are literally standing in solidarity with a terrorist group. They Here's represent districts in the yep. United States, and they are holding rallies uh, in places like the uh, University of Washington, Harvard, no, 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 Yale. No, I, I agree. I agree. And and, My... and they're they're chanting "Death to America," "Death to Israel." And we are allowing, I mean, there is a line. I, I'm a First Amendment loving free yeah. American, but there is a line to which you don't cross. And that line should be upheld by, above all else, by at least our elected officials. And when our elected officials start graying that line, what we end up with, because we don't have the laws in our country that would preclude people from other countries for running for Congress or Senate, yeah. only for president. So where do all the powers and the money and all that come from that set up our society on the ground level? Not from the president. It comes from Congress. It comes from Senate. It comes from local government. And when we're allowing foreigners to come to our country, people like Rashida Tlaib, I, AOC, and others to in, in take office, are we are we destroying ourselves? And, we're, and we're if so, is that sedition? This is this is my this is my theory. It relates to that. Uh, there's going to be a terrorist attack, and the answer is not to decrease our freedoms, increase the power of the government. We need to relook at who can become a citizen in our country, who can come in. Hey, for instance, I can never become a Chinese citizen ever because I'm not of Chinese ethnicity ever. I can never become a. No, it's not my goal. I'm not worried about. But the point is, is I would say the way. I don't think it's going to work, but if I had my way, I first, I'd abolish birthright citizenship. that's being mm -hmm. abused. I would just, you got to go explain. Go, slow down. So it, it, because I've heard Vivek recently speak on this at the, the presidential debate. So I want to hear your take on this. So birthright I, citizenship. Explain. I would abolish it immediately. I would abolish it. I mean, it's, this is a major constitutional. You're talking amendment. about the 14th. You're talking about the 14th amendment, the ability exactly. for these guys. Exactly. But the point is, is if you cannot control who can become a citizen, 
this country is over. It's over. So Especially would you agree Trump. that people that illegally enter our country and have what we later termed as anchor babies, right? We uh, know for a fact deportum. that this is not constitutional. Just because you're born on U.S. soil, you're here illegally. So does yeah, that, I, how, how do you see those situations? I, absolutely. I would deport, here, here's, here's from a leadership standpoint, and I'm going to look at immigration from a bigger standpoint, leadership. Notice how we always say it's not good for us to be dependent on foreign resources. We want to be oil independent. We want to be security independent. We want to be food independent, which That's is good. Right. I think it's, it's good. But what is from leadership? What is the most important resource in a country? Your people. It's the most mm -hmm. important resource. It's the people. Why is it in America? I'm not talking illegal immigration. I'm talking now legal. Why is it so great that we're dependent on foreign people to replace us, then that's our most important resource. It's like we're, we think it's globalism. Great. Exactly. Because the corporations like cheap labor and obedient labor. That's yeah. what I'm saying. I just don't think, I truly believe Donald Trump, he could be the last stand. And I don't believe, and I, and I think he might get taken out. I, I think the future politics in America is, is at the state level. This is where the civil war is going to happen. You are going to see governors, governors, rise to a new level of influence because these red states through immigration, like internal immigration, I don't care. It's conservative flight, white flight, Christian flight, whatever you want to call it. These Those things shouldn't states, have a party or an agenda from a political standpoint. They have laws and they should just follow them. Well, I, I'm just saying, though, these red states are going to become more red. And when they become more red, the people in that state are going to demand their governor not put America first, Put their state first, state mm -hmm. first, then America, then the globe. You know what I'm saying? Meaning, right. I think it's going to be like, hey, I'm from Texas. You're Senator Cruz. Senator Cruz, before you go to D.C. and you put America first, you first put Texas first. Then mm -hmm. you put America. And I That's think about the first place it would happen is Texas. One well, of the only go their their contract with the United States gives them the ability to secede should they ever want to. And they had a movement a few years ago that actually was pushing for secession because they were just tired of it. I mean, obviously it, that probably it, would no, never I'm work out, you, but it sooner or later. So if you go back to the civil war, the civil war is a pretty near and dear to West point. Most people thought that the, that the Southerners were traitors. They weren't at that time. When you went to West, point, they were fighting for sovereignty. You, well, you swore your oath to your state. It's not like that anymore at West point and the civil war changed. So we're going to take general Lee, John Robert E. Lee, before he went to West Point, he swore his oath to the state of Virginia. So when mm -hmm. the Civil War broke out, he was obligated to go back and fight for Virginia. Now, after the Civil War changed, West Pointers, we swear an oath now to the country. But the point is, is as America becomes more diversified, people are going to start seeking these states. And when they in these states, they want more and more homogenous. People like to be around like-minded people. And right. I think you're going to start hearing a dogma of, my state comes first, then America comes first. And mm -hmm. when this thing starts becoming normalized, you're going to see governors. I think there could be a standstill. It could happen like this. Yeah. I'm the governor of Texas. And I say, FBI field office, Dallas, Texas, you are now closed. You have no jurisdiction in Texas. Get out. Federal I never understood says, why they allowed the federal government to protect their border and them not do it themselves. I, exactly. I, I never I never understood that there Arizona is the same way. But in Arizona, there's they have other issues. And 
Um, that's a whole different conversation, but there were, there were some election irregularities down there that were just horrendous. And there was a law, a law firm who brought a lot of that to light. And what happened was they, they, they had a law firm called Thaler and Harris, and they had a a woman by the name of, uh, Jacqueline Breger who went to their oversight committee and, in the state of Arizona and presented to them the evidence that many of the people on the legislature that she was talking to were actually on the take by cartel members. And she had the proof and she gave them each the proof and the look on the face of some of these people, one man's face was, I mean, he was in shock. He was scared to death. His hands were shaking. And uh, later on, it turned out that it came out that Liz Harris an elected official in Arizona was the one who invited her in to speak. The other people who were on the take got together and voted her out of, of Congress actually expelled her. So you, you had so many like-minded bad individuals that were in on the scheme, got together and expelled the one person who wasn't in on the scheme. When you're at the FBI Academy, they preach it very, very sternly that federal law, supersedes all law now this is from the fbi talking and the fbi is obviously biased however i believe we're going to go in the future where you're going to see contentions between state law and federal law come to to contention and there's going to be i'm not a constitutional scholar i'm not a lawyer by trade but i guarantee there are going to be constitutional scholars that point out all these amendments or ratifications where state law and federal law come into contention Mm -hmm. but it's never been like that before because we're one country you know we're all together but as tensions build you're going to start hearing stuff like state law state law governors and there's going to be contention and that's this is is what it started with roe v wade returning the returning the issue to the states which is where it belongs um, and, and, and they would have never made it as far as it did. It would probably would have never became federal law, uh, if it weren't for the fact that they actually lied when presenting the case to begin with. Um, so federal law does supersede state law, but when you have a federal government that has weaponized itself against certain ideologies, of course, you're going to have states that say, yeah, nope, we're, we're, we're not participating uh, on some level or yeah i mean that is that is a very real possibility well, and, and 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 i think people know this if you're going to run for president like donald trump you got to be more liberal to get all the votes in a in a multicultural society mm-hmm. where if you're in a state that's more homogenous you're going to see these governors have more singular opinions because they have to only win the votes of their state they don't mm-hmm. care about winning people from california or new york mm-hmm. So you're going to start seeing governors that take on a very different role when these states, because the people in that state are truthfully going to say, we don't care about other people in America. Our state comes first. We want our lives back. And that's why we elected you governor. You represent us first. Yeah. You have a responsibility. Feed your kids before you feed anyone else. And, and just in, in, I'm, I'm going to back up here for a second. You, you, you said that you were spied on. Absolutely. And let me go through it. I'll I'll, I'll take it through. So to the American public, I'm going to tell you a story and you tell me how now I'll have other stories, but let's just start out my last trip because I make it clear. I am not welcome back in America. After I tell you this story, you decide. So it was August, 2019. I took a flight from Taiwan to Chicago International O'Hare Airport. Now I don't know everybody on the airplane, but they look like foreigners to me. Most of them were foreigners. 
When they got off the plane in Chicago O'Hare, they were allowed to go into America and do whatever the heck they're doing. Me, on the other hand, this is, and this is all written, this is all uh, uh, given to the congressman centers. The allegation's like 36 pages, and I could provide this too. It's on, it's on my website. So this is the first. There's five allegations altogether. Number one, I go into the airport. I get deemed for secondary screening. Now, secondary screen's a big deal when all your uh, when all your digital advices are taken. So my digital devices are taken to a back room. I had to give them the password. I said, can I accompany you? No, you can't. Really? They yeah. actually, without a warrant, they can take your digital devices just in the secondary screening and, and go through them? So, so to the American people, what did I say? If you have a problem, come with a solution. In my book, I said two things need to be abandoned. The FISA Act needs to be abolished for American citizens. Number two, there's a law. It's called the Entry and Exit Border Exception. If you're an American citizen, and this is, again, it needs to be abolished. If you're an American citizen and you enter or you leave America, like international airports on the this border with like Mexico. This sounds like it's completely unconstitutional. They can override the fourth constitution. And I said this in my writing because I could go into it, but the American government wants my tax money overseas, then it shouldn't matter where I'm physically located. The Fourth Amendment should apply to me. So, But there is a law that says the entry and exit border. So there I am. I enter the airport. They start interrogating me. What are you doing in China? Where are your contacts? What do you want? I have nothing to say to you. No, why are you hiding? Give us your devices. They go through all my stuff, everything. Video, videotaping it, counting every single money, everything. I'm in there over three hours. I'm like, am I ever going to get my uh, digital devices back? Finally get it back. They go through all my stuff interrogation. This is not how I would say a military veteran should be welcome. Again, this is allegation number one. I thought it's over. Now I go on my business trip. I'm on the business trip because people should watch episode two of me and the Boeing company because I was suing Boeing and my lawyers in Chicago. I had to do a deposition. So there I am in Chicago. And it could be my background, my trade craft. But I just knew, I said, I'm under surveillance. I, I just, this is all written in the allegation. I go through step by step. I just said, I'm under surveillance right now. It's the weirdest thing. Now I've been under surveillance before in foreign countries, but this is my own, this is my own country. I said, I'm under surveillance now. There it is all documented. I'm in, uh, I'm not too familiar with Chicago. It's the park in Chicago. I'm near a water fountain and there's an individual and I describe him, a white I male. I think it's high. I mean, I could, I did it on the map. I, I wrote this specific thing, but it's, it's right near the, actually it's uh, right near um, it's in the center of the city, you know, Chicago. Again, it's, it's one of the parks. And I notice a man I describe in all details, white male cropped hair, 30, to 35, five, eight to five, 10. I describe him, And this man is surveilling me. In other words, this man is stalking you to the American people. This doesn't make you feel comfortable when someone's stalking you. Mm -hmm. Now, my gut told me immediately, I said, this guy is either an FBI agent or in the FBI, we have what's called surveillance operatives that focus on surveillance. He was one or the other. I knew it. He's either an FBI agent or a surveillance operative working on the FBI. So at that time, I proceeded to leave the area fast. I was staying in the park. Again, I'm just walking by myself. I end up running around the park and I stop at a dead end. I turn around and this same individual that was sort of snooping on me per se, is in a full run after me, full run after me. When I do the 180 degree turn, he sees me shocked and he's like slowing down because he's in a full sprint. He doesn't even know what to say. And this man is pissed off because in the FBI, he now just got burnt. And these are the professionals. 
This is not good now for the FBI. <laughs> this is like a and damn spy novel, man. And I'm <laughs> now I'm telling you what, and and you know what's going to happen? The FBI now, and I, they've done it already. They reviewed this guy's file. I guarantee he never wrote about this. So now this is an integrity violation. I never, I guarantee he didn't write about this because this is what happened. He sees me. He's shocked. Again, this is all written in the book and the allegations. He is now huffing and puffing and pissed off. He's walking towards me. I'm in my position. What the hell do I, am I going to do now? And if anyone's ever been in the FBI, if you lay a hand on this guy, it's over. It is over. You think police abuse or brutality is bad at the state level or city level. If you lay a hand on an FBI employee, it's done. So I'm thinking, what the hell is going to go on? As he's walking towards me, more pissed off, the only thing I could think of to do to de-escalate the situation is I stick out my right hand like I'm, I'm about to shake his hand like this. He grabs my hand, squeezes, and before he does, I ask him, I said, are you following me? He shouts back, no. And I said, second question, this is in the matter of like five seconds or six seconds as he come. It's a complete lie. And I said, you wouldn't lie to me, would you? And he says, no. He then takes his elbow, punches me in my solar plex, elbow takes his shoulder in my chest. We spin around to 180 degrees now. Now mm. we're in 180 degree. He's huffing and puffing. I'm huffing. I don't even know what to do because I don't want to lay my hands on this guy. And then I shout with him with as much military command voice as I can using the you night. Know, I said, stop following me. I then turn around in the, in the original uh, direction I was going on to, and I leave fast. As I'm leaving, I turn around. The same guy now is after me now shouting on some type of technical advice. Could be his phone, something like that shouting and he's chasing me i cross the street oncoming uh traffic doing escape and man maneuver and you're thinking is this for real is this really happening in the country of america what the hell then, did they think you did to warrant this, such tactics this is, this is all written in the books and all given to the congressman centers oh it gets worse now i'm about to fly out to america to the americans ask yourself is this normal I check into the same airport. This is Chicago O'Hare. Check in. Everything's fine. The plane now is about to boarding. They say boarding call. Come with your ticket. I come with my ticket. I'm in front of everyone now. All the passengers are lining up. You know, right before you're about to board, there's the ramp with the stewardess in the open doorway. You know, the stewardess sure. is waiting there. There's the ramp. Two uniformed guys. These are these are um, ICE agents. These are Custom and Border Patrol in full uniform. They're inspecting everyone's passport as we go through. Not normally what you normally see. Not I say it's not at a, not an airport. Not at not that now, level. Anyway. I mean, not at there. Normally, it's I, again. I've flown enough time. Now you just board the airplane. You know, you've you've already gone through customs and everything like that. Mm -hmm. They see my passport. They say, Mister Baumblatt, we need to ask you some questions. Come over here. Now they only pulled me aside a couple feet. Everyone is seeing this. All the passengers are seeing how. They said, we need to go through all your stuff now. And I said, well, where, where do you want me to put it? There's no table. I just Amazing. sit on the floor. So now I'm sitting on the floor. They said, take out your shoes. Take out the soles of your feet. They go through all my stuff, pictures. Where were you? We want to know what hotel you're in. I'm like, I don't want to say anything. They're like, then you can do this the hard way or the easy way. Otherwise, you're not going to make your flight. So what are you talking about? Then they go through my phone book. Whose telephone number is this? None of your business. Don't worry about it. We'll call this number up right now. What are you doing? Then they pat me down. Now, this has been done in front of all the, all the passengers. Sure. It got so bad, the whole plane is ready to go. 
The plane is ready to go. The stewardess is waiting. I've been now on the floor now. This has got to be like 30 minutes to an hour. The stewardess motions to these two guys like, is he going to get arrested or is he going to board? Because it looks like I'm going to get arrested the way I was treated. Because sure. she's like, we, we got to go. And they're looking through everything. And then they're, then they're telling me like, hey, we need more information. Give us something. Give us something to tell your boss. I said, I don't want to talk to you people anymore. This is the most unpatriotic way to treat a U.S. citizen. Finally, at the end, whatever they were looking for, I don't know what they found or whatever, but they said, all right, you can go. I finally get on the plane. Literally, I'm escorted on there by the stewardess because she's like, get to your seat and boom, we got to take off. Everyone's looking at me. After that, I make an appointment in Beijing, China to meet the FBI legat and the ALAP. People may or may not explain, know. We have F- explain that. Yeah. Those acronyms. So, people may or may not know. We have FBI legal attaches and assistant legal attaches in embassies and consulates abroad. These are senior FBI management, not field agents. These are FBI management, like high ranking FBI. And so, you know, they're scattered around the globe to do, you know, their F- and we could get into it, what their job is, but, you know, they're, they're stationed abroad. I make an appointment. This is all recorded, by the way, emails and everything. I meet with both of these gentlemen, and to make a long story short, we talked for about an hour, and I said, listen, I know you're spying on me, because I also have sources of, of associates and friends. I'm not going to mention their names for many reasons. That they was going to be a question of mine as well. If I, you're can't, still, I can't yeah. mention their names, but I, I'm telling you, I know who's done it. But, but essentially, yes, to, then. Yes, you're still you're still in contact in some way. You still have friends on this Absolutely, side and the FBI paid them money to see if they could solicit me. And I know what they're doing. Some of these were FBI uh, or, or West Point graduates. But what is their, what is their to, end game? What do they think you did? What is this so conversation? This is, absolutely. This is what I think it is. Remember when I told you about the FBI is a very vindictive organization? I remember, so you got to read the book, but when I left the FBI, it was bad. I mean, it was just, there was almost some fistfights that were going to happen. So when I left the FBI, I didn't like them. They didn't like me, and I just left. And I never said anything bad about them. If you go back in history, I've never said anything bad so, about the FBI. So back up, back up. I, I would, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't push fist yeah, fights. You're, 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 you're. Evidently, you're giving your resignation. You're probably explaining why, to some degree, and so you meet some sort of resistance that turns into this conflict that you're, that yeah. you're explaining right now. So, so explain. Yeah. So let me let me tell the tell the people what had happened. Sure. One of the issues, this is written in the book. There was when I was when I was when I was working, I had met a Chinese woman in America. Now she was from China. I mean, this is again, this is another story. This is a once in a a, a lifetime event. This is I'll the explain. legal case, correct? Huh? Is this the legal the the legal case that I that we're talking about now? Did we? Cross into no, that no. Yet? You mean like the Bo- the Boeing case or correct? No, no. Yeah, okay. Well, no. we'll get to that then. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. sorry, the Boeing. So this is what happened to me. The FBI. I had met a Chinese woman. She had been. She's a Chinese student. She's from China. She's here in America. I never told her what I did for work. We never talked about uh, the government. All of a sudden, we had we had a bit of a sexual escapade. I'm at her home in America. She invites me home, and during her, the her home, name wouldn't be Fang Fang, would it? No, no, but trust me, people, I'm sure people are, are making assumptions. Wait till the story's over. Well, I had to say that because that's exactly yeah, what no, everyone no, was she wasn't, she wasn't. So <laughs> I had, I had, this is all written in the book. So I had asked her as we're getting to know each other, I said, Hey, what, what do your parents do? 
And they said, oh, my mom and my dad work at the, at the Chinese consulate, which is like, what? And yeah. I said, can I, I see their pictures? Can I see your, their pictures? And she's like, yeah, there, there's their pictures. I got their Chinese names. Soon as it's done, I went to my field office and I looked them up. These people were suspected uh, Ministry of State Security spies working in America. I immediately, when, you, when this happens, this is not normal. This is like once in a blue moon. And I'm going to understand the intelligence. So you agency. believe that you were targeted by them? No, I don't. I don't. And if I was, I'll, I'll explain the story because it comes okay. out. I immediately contact what's called my FBI mentor. He's sort of like the Yoda and I'm sort of like the Jedi. We have these relationships. Sure. And I said, listen, this is a confidence. I said, you're about to hear something that I can't believe. I tell him the story. His jaw drops. He's like, what? I said, this is what happened. And I, I said, what should I do? This is his advice. Now, remember, he's a senior agent. He was right. I was wrong. He goes, David, this is my advice. Break contact with this woman immediately and never breathe the word about it ever, ever. That's what you do. And I said, why? I said, I'm going to tell the FBI. We could go on the offensive. I've got, I've got access to her home, her parents. We could bug it. I mean, this is amazing. I've got all this access. He's like, David, they will not believe you and they will burn you. Trust me. Have you noticed the ever-alarming 400,000 cell towers that have gone up in the United States alone? How about the electronics that reside in every room of our homes and Wi-Fi that runs 24-7? 5G cell phones are carried in our pockets hours on end. Common complaints are ringing in the ear, sleep deprivation, palpitations, headaches, memory loss, and so much more. Redemption Shield is on the cutting edge of offering products that protect your family from electromagnetic and microwave radiation, from Faraday bags, earthing bed sheets, Wi-Fi router covers, hats, scarves, bed sanctuaries. This will not be going away anytime soon. We will continue to see only faster speeds, 6G, 7G, and more exposure to EMF than any time in our history. Start protecting yourself now. Go to redemptionshield.com and get grounded and shielded today. Use code PATRIOT and save 10%. I didn't take his advice. And so I, your, your, your objective was then to turn around and say, okay, well, let's use this to our benefit. Well, absolutely. Trust okay. me. I'm the, again, it's the way someone reads this, this doesn't look good, but I'm mm -hmm. telling you it is what it is. So the way well, the FBI I'm, I'm going to say that the obvious right now, it, it, so we go from that being one of the reasons why we're, this investigation is happening. You have FBI spying on you. You have, you have fear of coming back to the United States as a result of that. But your choice of places to go is China. Yeah, but the the point is, you got to look at them. Why are the why are the corporations in China? I went to mm -hmm. China because I was in Harvard, and I was thinking about where to go. And when you're at Harvard, because again, I left the FBI and I went straight to Harvard. And when I was at Harvard, I was going in the private sector. And during in Harvard, they found out I could speak Chinese and I could go. You know, all the corporations were going there. But before people look at me, this is an interesting story, though. And I got to do this pause because it's deja vu. When sure. I was in the FBI, out of the blue, we had one of these Friday meetings, Friday meetings with, with, with the Russian intelligence squad. Rarely we do this, but it was like one of these Fridays. We just, we just, uh, it was a Friday afternoon. We sat down with some drinks, you know, whatever coffee we didn't, there was no alcohol, but we had some talks and sure. they told me a story that was so interesting. They said, listen, 
They had a guy working on the Russian intelligence squad, not an agent. He was an analyst. And this analyst, who was fluent in Russian because his family came from Russia, retired from the FBI. And upon retirement, because he didn't have any family in America, he decided to move back to Russia. And the argument in the squad was about 50-50. Some people said he should not be allowed to go back to Russia. Some people said, well, what the hell are we going to do? It's a free country. He's not in, mm-hmm. in the FBI. But sure. it's something to do with that. But the point is, I left the FBI in 2007. I wanted nothing more to do with them. But let me finish the story because you'll, sure. you'll understand the story. So I go and I say, no, I report it to my supervisor thinking the opposite, that they're going to say, wow, we got a gemstone here. We found mm-hmm. out about your infantry. The exact opposite happened. Within a matter of minutes, I'm at the, I'm, this is all written in my book. I'm at the, I'm at the seventh floor, which is like the, the head, the head of counterintelligence, this woman, and I am just getting reamed. How did you do this? What's this? You're going to headquarters now, debrief. And it was like, just what that mentor said, the wall came down on me, but hold on. So unbeknownst to me at that time, I was pulled off my squad. My clearance was revoked for national security, but for, for criminal stuff, I was fine. And they said, we're going to have you work criminal stuff. You're not going to work intelligence. We need to figure this out. Unbeknownst to me, the FBI started spying on me behind my back. This is what they do. They did, and I'll tell you how I know it. So they did an internal uh, investigation team to go through everything. My computers, my phones, my home, everything. How do I know about this? Because this is what happened. As I was being put on criminal case, it just got more and more that, and again, never got, as, as, as what happened, like I said, it's almost impossible to get fired from the FBI. So don't even, if anyone assumes that, that I got fired, no, no, I left because I want to leave. The they torture my, you until you leave, essentially. It just sucked. I, my, I write in the book, if I stayed in the FBI, I could have stayed as a field agent. I would have never got promoted, but I could have stayed as a field agent and did criminal work. But I just, the tension, I didn't like them, and I, and I really wanted to leave. When I dropped my paperwork to leave, I was approached now overtly by the mm-hmm. undercover team. They said, David, can we have a talk with you? Not can we, we want. Now, I didn't have to talk with them because I, I had already put my paperwork in the FBI and I could have said, goodbye, I'm not talking. And I said, fine, I'll talk with them. And then they started asking me, who's this person? Why were you there? And I said, what were you spying on me? How did you know this email? How did you know that? And they said, we got to do our job. So they went through the whole thing and they basically wanted to know, was I a mole in the FBI? Was I spying? Absolutely not. No intention. And they said, listen, before you leave, would you be willing to do a polygraph test? I was not obligated to do it. I could have just said, no, I mean, I, in, in, in all fairness, that's, that sounds like it would be a routine. What, what meaning the polygraph? Yeah. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, is if I, you got to remember, if I was still in the FBI, I would have to do it. I sure. don't have to do it anymore. I mean, not as an American citizen, not as a civilian. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember they did this after I put my paperwork down. I didn't even have to talk with them. Once I put my paperwork down that said I'm leaving the FBI and they said, listen, we want to talk with you. Have a good life. You know what I'm saying? That was a voluntary conversation I had with them. The sure. polygraph, which I did, I volunteered to do in past. That was also voluntarily. I didn't have to do that. Then sure. it gets even worse. Then I do the polygraph. I'm all done. 
And I didn't want to get escorted out of the building. You know how some people get escorted yeah, out? Get the, it's normal. Get, the, get the optics of, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not doing that. I threw my badge and gone. I text like the, the secretary. I said, I'm out of here. Goodbye. And I left the federal office. And I said, that's it. That night I had a flight to Boston because I was going to start the Harvard program. This is me at the airport. I go to the airport. I check in to the airport. So this is a domestic flight to fly to Boston. As soon as I check in, Three FBI agents are now behind me. Didn't even see them. And they said, David, we need to talk to you. I said, what are you talking about? I'm done. I'm out of here. They said, no, we, we need to talk to you. Please come with us in a private room. I said, I'm not coming anywhere with you guys. I'm done. Now they're motion. They all have guns on them. Now I'm, I'm in, the, in the airport hallway with my back to the wall. I'm telling you, I say it. These guys are scumbags. To anyone who doesn't believe me, once you get targeted by these people, it's just like my mentor said. He goes, they don't care about evidence. In, the, in the national security, if they believe, it's enough. There I am in the airport, my back's to the wall, and I'm literally a captive audience. I said, what do you guys want? They start again interrogating me. Did you spy on America? I said, never did. There was zero evidence. Never did. And if I did, why would I even bring forth that stuff about the, the woman? I would have I done what my mentor said. Kept my mouth shut and just broke contact with the woman. But this is how the intelligence agency worked. Anyway, long story short, I said, I'm not talking. I want to leave. They pull out a bunch of papers in my hand with a pen. They said, sign this. I said, what is this? They said, it's your out-processing paperwork. I said, I'm not signing anything. He said, sign the fucking paperwork now. And so I'm thinking, I got three guys with guns at me. So I involuntarily signed whatever that paperwork was. I so, didn't have time so to let me Let me ask you a question about that particular. Is, so you got three guys with guns on you. They got a, You got a piece of paper that you are that you have in front of you that they're coercing you. Absolutely. They're coercing you even... at the threat of violence. And if so, do you think they would have carried through on any violence? Absolutely, because you have to use common sense. What was I doing at the airport? I just checked in. My next step was I was ready to board the plane. This meeting so, was not where in, I was. In other words, our federal government will coerce people at the end of a barrel of a gun. Yeah, this, this is what they do in force. third countries. Yeah, this is what they do. Mm -hmm. So he's like, sign it. Now, with the document, I can't remember. I'm trying to feel it because I didn't have time to look through it. It was like four, five, six pages. Like it was all this. And I just said, this is explosive, David. You you realize what you're saying, how explosive this, yeah, this truly this is, is. Well, again, this is gonna this is gonna hit the internet like like. <laughs> well, I, again, and and I tell to the American people, if I would have said this in 2007, there's three reasons. I don't want to come across. I'm a West Point graduate. Nobody wants to hear a disgruntled complainer. Two, you don't fuck with the FBI. Or three, I don't think people would believe me. They would have said, no, the FBI is an honorable uh, agency. You must have been a bad person. That was the three reasons why I just said, you know, because I didn't want any problems with them. And like I said, sure. if you look back on the Internet, I've never said anything negative about the FBI until now. Anyway, I'm sitting there. I don't have much choices. These guys are in there. He's like, sign it. And I did not want to sign that document. I didn't even have time to read all the What pages. was that document? I, again, it was, you know, it was a regular piece of paper, meaning it was a, it was an official document. I didn't have time to even read it. Again, this was not even, it was, we're literally in the airport hallway with my back to the wall, you know, like in the, in the terminal, like the terminal area, the way it was, the way it was, I was back to the wall because I was not going to go into a private room with these guys. They wanted me to go into a private room. I said, no way. And they did it right there. Story's not done. Then I sign it. And I said, can I go? He's like, get out of here. 
Then I go and I'm about to board the plane. And then the, the, the agent says, I'm sorry, your luggage has been selected for secondary screening. You need to come with us, ICE. And they go through all my stuff. And again, they've been spying on me. The problem is this. Now, this story gets crazy because people should ask, why am I doing this now? Right? Why am I doing it? It's very simple. What they did to me in America, and again, when I met with the FBI Liga and the ALAT in Beijing, I had told them, I know the FBI spying on me. Whatever allegations you have, level it to my face. Stop well, they they sat me. down to have that conversation with you. And oh, these recorded. people. So that conversation, tell us, can you tell us about that conversation? Yeah, I can mean, basically it was simple. It was with, it was, um, it's all in emails. It's, it's all recorded. It was, man, I can't remember January or February of 2020, right before the COVID hit. It was literally right before the COVID hit. If you remember, they, um, they wanted me to meet in the U S embassy. I said, Nope, I'm not meeting in the U S embassy. We're meeting outside. We pick like, I let them pick a cafe. We're in Beijing, China. We pick a cafe. It's the Ligat and the ALAT. One of the guys I knew from, from time being, not personally, but I knew him. But anyway, we sit down. Obviously, I'm scheduling the meeting. So they, they meet me and they say, okay, well, what do you want to talk about? And I said, okay, I got three things. Number one, I'm under investigation by the FBI. I know it. I know you're investigating me. Two, stop. Stop it. Three, whatever allegations you have, meet me man to man and level them like a man does. Now, they, of course, said, David, we have no clue what you're talking about. And I said, maybe you do. Maybe you don't. You wow. send a wire to headquarters, though. And I've got this in emails. This is far. You send a wire to headquarters because headquarters knows and say, I know it. you're destroying my reputation. What happened to me in America cannot be tolerated anymore. Level the allegations against me. I've had enough. They did that. Once they did that, then I started, I, I, and then I got their emails back. And they said, David, we've contacted headquarters. No, no answer, whatever. But I wanted to check that block at least to say I went to the FBI. Then what happened, then it got even worse. I'm, I'm not going to give you all the details this yet. I will. This is what happened that got even worse. Remember I said that I started spying on me overseas? This is what happened. And I made a video about this. This is a, one of my videos. The FBI then, because at that point in time, I said, fine, I am not going to go against the FBI because it's a suicide mission, but I'm just never going to go back to America. That's literally what I said, even though I still want to go. I was going to ask you if it made it any difference where you were at. If you were targeted by the FBI, I wouldn't imagine that it would too much matter what country you're in. Absolutely. Well, exactly. But but obviously, America, they have much more power. You know sure. what I'm saying? If you're in America. So at that time, I said, I'm never going to go back to America again. Not that I, I, I wanted to, you know, visit family, visit friends, business trips. But there's nothing you can do because I'm thinking, is there an arrest warrant? You know, what, what do I I'm going to get assaulted again? What am I going to go through all this you know, security stuff? I mean, it, it is so unwelcome. Then what happened was their investigation went overseas. What happened? I'm saving the details to later and you'll understand why, but I'll tell you what happened. I was in a foreign country, not China. I was in a foreign country and I had a work visa. And what had happened was my work visa without any explanation is canceled. Now, people might say, well, you're making some assumptions. You'll wait till I tell you the whole details. 
But this is how it works in the intelligence world. The FBI contacted that foreign intelligence agency. I know it. And they said, listen, you have a David Baumblatt American citizen in your country working. That intelligence agency probably didn't know about it because if you reverse engineer, sometimes it happens in America. We have a lot of foreign nationals living in America. The FBI doesn't know. But if a foreign intelligence agent, we'll say the French, if the French foreign intelligence agent says FBI, there's a French foreign national or a French national in your country, and sure. we want to know what he's doing. What does he work? Who is his contacts with? Where's his telephone numbers? That immediately to the FBI is like ding, ding, ding. And we immediately will launch an investigation against this French national. We have to. It's, it's, it's regardless. They did the same thing. Now, if I was doing anything illegal in this country, I probably would be arrested. You know, that's probably how it works. But that country investigated me. They found out that I was doing nothing wrong. But the FBI is interested in me, and they have to protect their own country, their own citizens. And what would we do as the FBI? Persona non grata. Don't tell them anything and just say, we're sorry, but you have to leave our country. That, again, forced me to be unemployed yet again by this FBI. And I said, that's it. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. But I still didn't write a book. Then I made a formal allegation to the FBI, to the inspector general of the DOJ. This is all documented. And I wrote every single congressman and senator. The four senators, like I said, Cruz, uh, Rand Paul, Tom Cotton, and Chuck Grassley. Those are the four senators in particular. But I opened it up to every Democrat. January 2022 until March of 2023. No response. What's the only thing I left off I, I can do? You go public. That was it. That was why I wrote a book, not because I'm trying to make money or do a business. It's the only way to finally get the FBI off my back. If the FBI has a problem with me, they won't do it because the reason they're not going to say anything is that's not how they work. And if anyone's ever worked in the intelligence community, and I should have known better, I should have. I don't think people feel that way anymore. Yeah, all. exactly. It, it just and and like I said in 2007, it the whole. Now I wrote this to Chuck Grassley then because he's different. He's a center. He he kind of in the know. So I wrote him, but that was different. Uh, I wouldn't have went to the American public, and you know I, I gave him my choice words what I thought about the FBI because he's different. He knows he knows a little bit more about the FBI than most people. But other than him, I've never said anything negative about the FBI, and I've, and a lot of people don't don't even know I worked. There. In fact, now people are coming to me and say, dude. You worked in the FBI. I, I just, I really, I, I, all I wanted to do was close that chapter of my, of my uh, life. Now, if people wonder why am I in China, I don't know. Why don't you watch episode two? Why is the Boeing company in China? Why is Amazon in China? All you've got to do is watch episode three of me working in in China with Amazon. I'm telling you, that is going to so raise what, what, eyebrows. What was that? What was that uh, position uh, you held with Amazon? It was similar what to Boeing, head of, cri- head of crisis management. And what, what is crisis? Why would Amazon need someone in, in crisis management? Well, you know, a lot, of, a lot of corporations do. I mean, think about the pandemic, you know, the COVID pandemic, you know, crisis management, anything that's happened, security, crisis management to the company. So a lot of it, w- it would be considered corporate security. So okay. that, w- that was it. But, but the point is, is if you go to China, now it's changing now a little bit, you know, the tensions with China. But when I got there in 2010, China was flooded with American corporations. And when I was at Harvard, it was the same thing. You speak Chinese, the corporations are, are go there, but it was there to work. And again, I'm in Hong Kong now, which there's a reason for it. It's a little better than, than mainland China. But either way, to the American public, if you don't have any sensitivity to my situation, same thing's going to happen to yours. If we're going to have an FBI that just says, well, we think he's up to no good. 
let's spy on them. It's enough is enough. Bring mm-hmm. forth the allegations. Enough is enough. But I'll tell you. So is this it something is, you're trying to force? Uh, are, so in other words, are you looking for a day in court? Are you still looking to hold the FBI accountable? You'll for- never, you'll, you'll never get them accountable. My, my goal is this, and it sounds kind of counter espionage. This is the only thing I could do by making my story public. Who else is being informed? The foreign intelligence agencies. So then they realize, okay, this David's not a bad guy. He could stay in our country. That's the best thing I can do right now. So you're you're essentially taking the position of an Edward Snowden. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm at that level. I mean, he's at a high level, but I'm just saying this FBI government, this is absolutely tyrannical. And I've said mm-hmm. many times, just leave me alone. I, I've just said that if, if, I, if they've got any allegations, this is what it is, because I know my West Point classmates spying on me. There's things that I wrote about them, like Civil War, you know, we got to get violent, where now it's sort of like, oh, yeah, like now they probably do have a lot of evidence on me that I'm a a national security threat, that I'm advocating Civil War. I don't think I don't think that just to put it out there, I don't I don't think anybody in this country wants fighting in the streets. I mean, nobody wants your country to be torn apart. Uh, what, what we essentially want is for our law enforcement agencies and our leaders to, uh, hold the line of constitutionality. That's it. And, and, and start protecting, you know, put America's interest first, care about your people, care about our economy, quit supporting proxy wars, protect our border. You know, uh, the basic common sense things that you would think that everybody would be on. And then obviously because they're not the other question becomes to what end why why not what do they gain out of basically destroying their own society what do they get out of that on the other end so the only thing i can come up with is uh when a government goes from being capitalistic to a socialistic dictatorship or oligarchy right you you the people in power at that point in time literally become royalty like they, they are the upper echelon. People don't question the government because the government is God in such, uh, in, 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 in such, you know, governments, they're, they're God. You're, you, you don't question them because their power is, is ultimate. And the way you're describing the federal government and the way that they investigate individuals who, um, they just target for whatever well, here, reason they, they, they deem is, is really kind of meeting that out. And people like Dan Bongino who state over and over again, and he just put a movie. I don't know if you've seen the, uh, the trailer yeah. for it, the, the police state. I mean, this is exactly, you're describing exactly what it is. They Here, are here's to the about. American people. You, you've got to realize this. You've probably heard of maybe traffic cops. They have a quota, you know, speeding. Sure. Tickets. Yeah. Quarterly. We quarterly have that. Quarter. Yeah, we have that in the FBI, but at a higher level to include national security. Really? Absolutely. So you have an agent now who doesn't have a case and they see me and they're like, hell yeah, man. If I don't have a case, I'll make a case out of this. Mm -hmm. So they have people pushing the envelope on this. Why? Because people want to get promoted. You have to make cases. So they want to stand on your back and get a little taller. Absolutely. They're looking at this and they're like, well, that's what I'm saying. You're going to make a mountain. So you don't have any cases in counterterrorism. Well, the the January 6th person, good enough. That's a case. Go for it. Because if you don't feed the machine, as we called it in the in the uh, in the FBI, where you're feeding the intelligence machine, then you're not working. You've got to do something. So they looked at me as, 
hey, let's make a case out of this. Let's see if we could push this. And so what they did was they didn't find anything on espionage. Now they're like, now we got stuff on national like terrorism. Like I'm a, I'm a sedition, you know, stuff like that. Now we're going here. And so the point is, is, and this shows to all the American citizens, I never had a problem with my American government. I left in 2010. I never had it. But when they pushed and pushed me, they've actually now radicalized me to where I have such distrust and hatred for our American government. Notice how our foreign policy, this is very similar. Like if you would have met me in 2015, you, you wouldn't even know when I went in the FBI. But if you would have said, hey, David, what do you think about the FBI? Oh, uh, no comment. Good organization. No comment. That's what I would have said. But by them destroying my life, now they've radicalized me. And so this is what they do. They destroy people. But would you truly deem yourself a radical or just somebody no, who stands they're, against? They're, exactly. They're, they, they, they're making this hyperbole. I am to the point of I've never done anything criminal at all i've never never uh did for violence obviously when you're talking with people one-on-one -on -one in private i may have made some hyperbole comments about america yeah we, we get all, we so. all get a little passionate and 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 to that end but i just want people to understand uh when you make such statements is that really no, they're, they're probably making it meaning they probably labeled me and they're like sure. this guy is a radicalist but if you look back i never really had a problem i just left because i knew you don't mess with the fbi that is the sure. one thing i knew and that's why i kept my mouth shut this whole time but when they push you in a corner what happens you got to fight back you got to yeah. fight back and that's all i that's mean all I'm that's that's i mean the, the name of the podcast is the patriot's prayer and that's the reason right that's the reason behind it is because we understand here uh what should be right i mean i have a, i have a group of people that support me and everything i do and they understood very very much so the passion to which that i approach these things and they are not the kind that even want me saying their names they don't want to be on the camera they don't want any part of that but um they know that the prayer is that uh, we would return to some semblance of common sense and decency and constitutionality in our country because they see it falling apart. They see it crumbling before their very eyes. And um, it, it, the country is something we love. Our culture is something that we absolutely love and we want to save it. We want to save it, not tear it down. We don't want a revolution fought in our streets. We don't want uh, uh, American to turn against American, but uh, the, the, we also don't want to be naive and think that on some level that some clash is in not uh, an evident. It, it, it's, it's not, you know, probable. It's, it's very probable. We have people walking down our streets right now, full blown Nazis waving flags to stand with a terrorist group whose charter says they have to eliminate everyone of a particular race. And, that should give more people pause than anything else that we have people in our government that are willing to stand by that. I mean, how many times have people uh, like to level the allegation of calling someone a Nazi or calling them Hitler? They do it all the time. Why? Because it's synonymous with evil. But for some reason, our, our morality and the way we view the world has declined so much so that we're willing to stand with people who are equivalent to just that very that same that that, that hitler that nazi that they are equivalent to the it, to that ideology it, it, it's it's getting and i could tell the american people when you get spied upon 
by your government like this as an innocent, it wrecks your life. At the time, it broke up my relationship. When I was in San Francisco, I was dating a, a girl from, from Israel. And they just went ballistic because she sure. was a foreigner. I didn't, and, and they got into all Whoa. my emails, my phone. So the, you're dating someone from Israel. Yeah, she's our in America. Biggest, she's our, in, biggest, our biggest yeah. ally. Even if she so, wasn't, even if she wasn't, they saw that as a problem? Yeah, and, and what, what I'm trying to tell the American public is, is, and again, I didn't even have to have this conversation with them. I could have just left once I've thrown my paperwork. Sure. But you knew they were going to, they knew about my sexual relationship with her. They listened to uh, my sexual conversation with her, emails, everything. It, it, it makes you feel vulnerable. It's like, what are you doing? And they want yeah. to know all about her. And I said, listen, she's not a spy. I'm not a spy. She was my girlfriend. That broke up. That whole thing crashed on it. And so the point is, is this is our government that's doing this and we're paying yeah. our tax money to it. It's got, and I'm telling you, the American people, sooner or later, you're going to feel this. It's going to happen to you. Yeah. And, and the, the way in which they do these, uh, this surveillance, uh, just so people understand when Obama came into office, the Edward Snowden thing had occurred and, uh, Edward Snowden is kind of letting the genie out of the bottle about how some of the surveillance takes place and to what degree. And uh, let it be known that they were doing warrantless wiretapping on regular American citizens. And, uh, and, and when, it, when it came out, Obama uh, did this thing where he says, okay, yeah, that's absolutely wrong. We're only going to allow them to do it for two years. So there's a two-year trail on Americans like that just follows you. Two years worth of your electronic communications that they'll keep and no more. What? No, this is illegal. What do you mean two years? What do you mean that you're going to keep... There, there are data centers in the United States with just lined with, uh, you know, Department of Defense employees and such guarding uh, very large amounts of, you know, servers and data and hard drives that have mass amounts of data that they use to that are housing the illegal wireless warrant taps committed on non-constitutional. I wouldn't say illegal anymore because they've made it illegal. And, and that's the other thing. I mean, they have we have contradictory laws, right? We have the Constitution, and then we have, like you said, the uh, national security that seems to uh, trump one trumps the lot, other. Absolutely, one trumps and, the other. It, it's very sad. And then you know, like the question that I asked a little earlier: Where are the heroes? Where are the guys that that are willing to risk it all and sacrifice it all in order to? I mean, who's the guy that wants the legacy? To be the next George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison. Where are those people at? Where are those people that are willing to actually stand up and fight for what's right in, in our freedoms? And I think that's, I think, believe it or not, and uh, people can call me a MAGA cult member all they want to. I think that's Trump. I think yeah, that's I, the guy I, who's willing to I, risk I, it all. I really, it's interesting, but when I saw Trump running, I really thought he's a once in a lifetime leader. Like once in a lifetime, a guy like this comes. And I made it, I made a point. The reason I liked him is because I don't consider him a Republican or Democrat. He look, To me, he's a nationalist and he's able to go against the corporations and put America first, which is the mm -hmm. normal thing in all these non-Western countries. But I tell the American people, I'm big on privacy. Once you get spied on, make no doubt about it. Whoever's got the data has the power. Yeah. And if we do not fight for privacy, it's over. You hear this all the time. Look at me. If you've done nothing illegal, you've got nothing to hide. Why is it that it's always <laughs> the citizens we have to be transparent? You think the government's going to be transparent? Not at all. Gonna... So it's always the citizens. No way. 
privacy. When you got, I, I go back to what happened in my relationship with my Israeli girlfriend, which she found out because I told her about everything. I mean, it, it gets so intimate. Now, again, if we were, if we we're foreign spies or foreign, but to, to be innocent people for them, for them to do that and now continue to do that to me, I said, I'm writing a book. Enough is enough. I'm going forward. It's, so it's enough. So before we get out of here, David, uh, please do tell, uh, tell us about your book. Tell us about what you're doing now. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, go ahead. So the first thing is everyone knows what's about freedom. My very first video that I posted on YouTube was censored. So thanks for the American freedom here. So I am on Rumble. You could just find me, David Baumblatt, Terebinth Leadership. It's on Rumble. And I'm on Twitter. Those are the best things, Twitter, Rumble. And also there's a... Um, uh, if you go to Rumble, there's a there's a link to the book. I've written a book. It's called Patriots Betrayed, a Soldier Scholar Spies Warning About America's I'll, Leadership Crisis. I'll put that in the description of the podcast um, as well. And this will be cut up into three parts. So uh, I want to put it in sizable bites for the audience to get it. So we'll 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 let this out in three one hour or so clips. No, I, I appreciate a lot. And like I said, to the American public, what's happening to me is happening to millions of other innocent American citizens. You just don't know about it. You're being spied right. upon right now by the FBI. And and let me ask you one more question here. So um, you say you don't know about it and this sort of thing. Are there anything that people can do in America to um, to meet that out, to know whether what, what are some precautions that they could take? Do you have advice for people who think that this may be happening to them. You know, part of the reason is, is people think I'm fake because I don't have a social media presence. This is the pro and the con. If you're into social media and you got all these digital stuff, it's just easier to monitor you. If you don't have much social well, media. Well, as an FBI, as an FBI agent, uh, uh, we profile ourselves, don't we? <laughs> exactly. So I would say is, we are living in the world now in terms of cyber information. That is probably, if like to, to the American people, let's let's use common sense. When I went to the airport in and out, yes, I got searched, grabbed, my crotch searched everything. But if you think about it, when they took my computer and phone, what is more privacy, right? I mean, look all that information you hold on your on your digital software. Yeah, right I would now. much rather squat and cough than I would have you go through my phone. Exactly. <laughs> and that's how I, I felt too. I felt that. And so I would say to the American people, be more cognizant of what you're using in terms of digital platforms and how much information is out there, because that's really right now how the FBI, I was able to sort of figure out what the FBI was doing for me by controlling my digital platforms. But just that would be the number one thing. That's the biggest FBI's uh, their their go getter right now is to find you digitally. It's the quickest and fastest way to do it. Well, David, uh, it's been great talking to you. I, I I we could do this for eight hours, and I I, I wouldn't get tired at all. This is uh, this is my fun, and uh, I consider myself uh, a you know very much a patriot and uh, back down from nothing. And censorship doesn't even range. I, I don't even care. Um, when we say unfiltered here on the Patriots prayer, we mean it. We will take uh, and follow any story to tell the truth. And it, it doesn't matter. We have to have people in this world that are willing to face the consequences of doing the right thing. And if we don't, um, we, we're all doomed. We're absolutely all doomed. So uh, with that said, uh, I, you know, we, we, hope to God that uh, we, we can do this uh, again and we can have you back on 
uh, and because there are so many follow up questions, but I just don't think an eight hour podcast is something that everybody's willing to watch. So we're, we're we definitely would love to have you back on the Patriots prayer. And uh, with that said, the silent majority, you need to stop being silent and stand your ground. We'll see you next time on the Patriot Thank prayer. Much. Thank you. Lead to victory. And I say, can't touch for speaking the facts. If you man enough, come stand with us.